Hello to all of you out there in the internet world of Facebook Live. Nice to see you. Bill Allen here from Tyler, Texas and the West Irwin Church of Christ checking in with you on this uh, beautiful Sunday afternoon from Northeast Texas. It is, uh, I hope that you're having a, a good day. I hope that you have had the opportunity to worship our Lord together with others. Uh, perhaps live, we had a good crowd in our worship assembly today and uh, or online. We had a lot of folks watching us and worshiping with us online today as well. And that is such a such a great, great blessing. I know many of you that take part in these video lessons are those who do that, and I appreciate you so very much. We haven't met in a little bit uh, because of a holiday weekend last weekend, and we finished up our study of First John. So today and next Sunday, uh, we are going to be looking at those last two letters of the apostle whom Jesus loved that we very creatively call second john and third john <laughs> so uh it sounds like bill was doing the titling of those letters but that's okay that sure helps us out uh to be able to know exactly where where they're all found and so welcome to all of you welcome to my dear friends cindy and eric mosley it's wonderful to have you with us and to uh, uh be a part of your lives through these studies I'm glad that you're uh, that we're able to do this this week and next week, and then we won't have a lesson at the end of the month on the 26th, at least as far as I'm expecting we won't, and uh, and then we'll see what October looks like. Uh, pray for us and for all churches and for all church leaders, because we are all considering what to do and what to schedule and how active to be. Uh, we know this coronavirus is still deadly and is still very present. And so our leaders, as well as leaders from other churches, consider try to consider what's the right thing to do. And we're deliberating and praying and talking about that right now. Our church hopes to open up some activities on Sunday evening starting in October. And, uh, and so those are the, some of the things that are on the horizon on my end. So again, welcome to Cindy and Eric. Welcome to my brother Mike Downing, now a resident of the great state of Florida. Uh, and uh, look forward to chit-chatting with you, my friend, via email and uh, we'll, uh, or Facebook or whatever, however we can do that. Uh, but we'll miss getting to see you from Sunday to Sunday very, very much. Um, we have been, as I said, in the, in the book of 1 John, much longer than 2 and 3 John. So, and since we haven't met in a little bit, I thought that I would reintroduce us to the letters and epistles of John and uh, and share a little bit about that um first john as you know is uh longer more in depth it is uh less personal but still very personal john is described describes himself in the gospel of john as the disciple whom jesus loved and we remember that jesus had those 12 apostles and then in the 12 he had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, John one of those, and his brother James. His brother James seems to have been perhaps older than John. John may even have been the youngest of the 12 apostles. That's a bit of conjecture, uh, but uh, remember that he's alive 60 years after Jesus had lived and died and was resurrected, uh, very likely because it's probable that these epistles and the revelation uh, come to us pretty probably uh, sometime around AD 90 or in the 90s of the current era CE. 
So John uh, was uh, perhaps a young man during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, and then an older man in exile when he writes the Revelation. Uh, it Very likely he could have been in exile when he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, but we don't know. That's all conjecture and speculation. Um, so we're not sure about all of that. Uh, we do know that the book of 1st John is longer. The 2nd and 3rd John, just one chapter epistles, uh, the shortest books in the New Testament. Um, and we... Uh, and so we realize that uh, these, are, these are a different kind of study that we'll look at today. I do want us to be reminded of that book of, of 1 John, though, and what, what it was for. Because remember, John was on um, the island of Patmos at the latter part of his life. But earlier, he had been in Ephesus. And uh, historical tradition tells us that he spent his later years in Ephesus. And, uh, and from Ephesus, he became... Uh, quite a minister and pastor and shepherd of all those churches in what we would call the western part of modern-day Turkey or the, um, uh, the, the uh, province, the Roman province of Asia. Remember, the book of Revelation is written to those, um, to those on the western province of the Roman district, the Roman province of Asia, as they called it. And all those seven churches, including the church at Ephesus, which Jesus said had lost its first love in uh, those letters in Revelation chapter 2, um, that's probably where John ministered a lot in his latter uh, years, his later years. Uh, but then, of course, he uh, was on the island of Patmos, exiled because of his faith. Likely, First John is what we might call a circular letter, an epistle that's meant to be distributed to other churches as well. Um, just like uh, probably the book of Ephesians was and the book of Colossians was. Um, all of these letters, again, very likely written in the first part of uh, the, the A.D. 90s, sometime in there, when um, and possibly when John uh, was uh, in exile or just before that. Uh, and we talked about 1 John for several weeks. And uh, remember, that's a, a great little book. Uh, it starts out in a great way in 1 John 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy or your joy uh, complete and that is his his purpose in writing as he describes it in first john chapter one and i believe that as we read these little short letters of second john and third john that we will uh, find that that purpose uh, cons is consistent and continues on but a different focus a different focus um, and we remember that the, the book of 1 John, written to two streams of people, a double purpose in 1 John, he writes, I, you've heard me say, <laughs> if you've heard, been around me some, that the job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. 
uh, my brother, uh, Wayne Lewis, has chimed in on this lesson and is uh, watching and with us this afternoon, which is makes me smile and is a great compliment and a wonderful blessing to me. Uh, but he would probably find that pretty humorous, that uh, Bill's job, Billy's job, is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But in a sense, that's actually what we do. And that is uh, really what a lot of the New Testament does, and specifically 1 John. Because remember in that chapter 1 of 1 John that follows those verses that we read, he talks about those who would deny that they have sins and calls them out and tells them that they're lying to themselves and they're lying to God. But he also calls on those who, um, who have acknowledged their sinfulness and have trusted in Jesus Christ. And he gives them that great assurance that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and impurity. Uh, that's 1 John 1 verse 9. And of course, the great verse in 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, purifies us from all our sins. Uh, and that is a great introduction to the book of 2 John. In 1 John 5, verse 13, John says, I'm writing these two things to you so that you may know that you are saved. And so, again, one of those streams that he writes to in the book of 1 John is that, uh, that message of assurance to those who are saved, who are not sinless by any means, but are seeking to walk in the light which means acknowledging your sin and relying on the Lord and seeking to be obedient to the truth of God's word. Um, we sing that song, A Common Love, and it ends with a common joy in the truth of God's word. First John talks a lot about that, and Second John is going to talk a lot about that as well, going back to what Jesus said initially as John records about the importance of living obediently to the truth, the truth of God's word. Uh, Second John then is a more personal letter uh, than the epistle, the more general letter of First John. Second John probably not meant to be passed around as much. It likely was, of course. It became uh, accepted by the church as uh, inspired scripture from God, and uh, the church didn't give it that authority. The church acknowledged that it had that authority. And so as we read these words, we're reading the words that the Holy Spirit inspired John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, to write. Just as surely as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write First John and the Gospel of John, just as surely as Jesus gave him uh, that incredible apocalyptic book that we call the Revelation. Um, John affirms himself as the elder, uh, uh, and that could mean a man who was um, a, an elder in the church. That's very possible. It could have been an elder at Ephesus. Uh, remember Paul on his mission journey in Acts chapter 20 calls for those elders from the church at Ephesus while he is on the little island of Miletus, just off the coast of modern-day Turkey, uh, that province where the city of Ephesus was. He calls on them to come to him, and they do, and they have that very emotional interchange that Luke records in Acts uh, chapter 20 when Paul says, uh, calls on them to shepherd the church of God, which Jesus purchased with his own blood. An incredible statement 
in Acts 20, verse 28, that whole passage there, very heart-wrenching, as Paul says goodbye to these men who meant so much to him and whom he thought that he may never see again. Um, and so um, John is uh, possibly an elder or shepherd in, in the church, but it could also be that John is referring to himself as an elderly man, an older man. And um, probably, I would think, agree with most who say it's most likely a reference uh, to his age. But as John begins, he identifies himself, the elder, in Second John verse 1, to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Well, that's, who is that? <laughs> and that's a great question because that's as specific as he gets. Um, it could mean that he is talking to a, uh, a local church, the church, uh, because it is um, in Espanol, Iglesia, a feminine noun, uh, in uh, in the original Greek language, it is ekklesia, also a feminine noun. Uh, the called out ones would be a more literal translation. Uh, and we have come to recognize that term and translate that term uh, through the years as the church. Uh, going way back, you can do your own word study on that. Um, and so as he writes to the elect lady, it could be that he's writing to a specific congregation. That is quite possible, actually. Um, but there's another choice, and that is that it's a reference to a very well-loved sister that John knew and that was uh, a member of, of the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, and judging by the personal nature of this letter, as we'll read through it in just a moment, it seems more likely that John may be writing to a specific person, a woman uh, in the church uh, that was very close to the Apostle John and uh, someone that he felt uh, a, a kinship with and a very much a closeness to. Um, he speaks of her very highly. If it is an individual woman, if it's the whole church, then that's okay too. But he calls on them to be hospitable and, and he acknowledges uh, her hospitality, but he also acknowledges that that hospitality is being taken advantage of and it's being taken advantage of by false teachers. Individuals who would take advantage of her hospitality uh, and would use that to um, affirm their false doctrine and their false teaching and would use that to try to persuade others to not be faithful and obedient to the truth of God's word. And John calls her out on that and he calls them out on that in a very powerful section here in Second John, especially in verses 9 through 11. And so the epistle, uh, the letter, the message of Second John is an appeal for continued loyalty to the truth. And that is what it's all about. So let's look at this letter of Second John. Uh, first of all, let's read verses 1 through 3. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children. Um, but also to all uh, who know the truth. And he says, uh, the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. This is someone that John had a very close relationship with. Or if it's a congregation, a group of people that, that John was very close to. Just as Paul had very close relationships with churches such as the church at Corinth that had so many issues but that Paul loved so dearly and had much correspondence with. Um, the Church of the Thessalonians, as he calls them in First and Second Thessalonians, this group of, 
of Christians who were uh, saw their faith and their church begin in the midst of great persecution, and, and, and Paul was a part of that and a recipient of that. Or the church of the Philippians, the church in Philippi in modern-day Greece, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that important city in the Greek and Roman empires, uh, had a church there that was very supportive of Paul that began with that godly uh, woman, Lydia, when she uh, was baptized in that little devotional setting, that place by some a river where uh, Paul thought would be a place of prayer. And that's where he and Silas and Timothy met her and baptized her and her family and ended up staying with her. She was very likely a core part of not just that church at Philippi, but of Paul's support. Because the church at Philippi, according to Philippians, uh, was very important in financially supporting the Apostle Paul and his ministry. So this is a similar kind of relationship, a very close relationship that John has with this woman, this Christian woman, or this Christian congregation, however you see that. Uh, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, who will be with us in truth and love. So let me ask you a question. Did you hear a term that is going to be very important <laughs> in this little short letter that uh, John writes that is uh, pretty clear from just the very first few verses? Well, of course, it is the truth. Several times in those few verses, he refers to, to the truth. In fact, in verse 3, he has this wonderful statement, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son who will be with us in truth and love. So he speaks about love there, as you remember, a very important teaching and doctrine in the letter of 1 John, much of 1 John, especially chapters 3 and 4 devoted to calling on us to not just love God, but to love our neighbor, to love our brother and our sister. Um, and here he speaks of that love, but he also speaks of grace and mercy and peace in verse 3. So some great topics there, grace, mercy, peace, love, but one that he says includes in verse 3, but also he speaks a lot of in verses 1 and 2, and that is the truth. I Whom I love in the truth, verse 1. Uh, verse 2, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. And again, the Father, God's grace and mercy and love will be with us, uh, and his peace will be with us in truth and love. Remember in the beginning of the Gospel of John, as John writes that great prologue in John chapter 1, uh, he speaks of truth. He speaks of the one who was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he talks about that Word being active in creation. Uh, and finally, in verse 14, we get an indication of who he's talking about when he says, and the, and the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us, made his dwelling place with us uh, in John 1, verse 14 and revealed to us, came to us from the Father, full of grace and truth. Those few verses in the, verse, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, speak of Jesus coming to reveal the truth, coming to reveal grace, uh, full of both grace and truth. You've heard me say a lot about that, and I think I hear that 
uh, call more and more in the midst of a very polarized, a very divisive time uh, in our society, in our country, uh, but also even in the church uh, that unfortunately seems to have heard just one of those two calls. The call to be devoted to grace and truth is what Jesus came to give and to demonstrate and to live. But unfortunately, we tend to uh, gravitate towards one or the other of those and leave the other one out. And that is, that's not being faithful, and that's not right. And John uh, forbids that as he shares the gospel of Jesus in the gospel of John. Jesus came full of grace and truth, revealing grace and truth. And this little letter will point that out as well. In the verses that follow, in verses 4 through 6, he says, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. And third John, he's going to put that even in a beautifully affectionate and emotional way when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth, live according to the truth. And as a, as a dad, as a papa, a grandfather, I can tell you that is absolutely correct. Uh, anyone who is a parent, anyone who is a grandparent, anyone who has a niece or nephew or any young person that they are so committed to trying to help uh, come to be in a close relationship with Jesus, we have no greater joy than to know that our children, our grandchildren, uh, those that we love so dearly and care for in such an incredibly uh, emotional and heartfelt way, we have no greater joy than that they walk in the truth. Uh, he commends her, saying that I, I am hearing that about you, I'm, I, and I'm joyful, overjoyed, that your children are walking in the truth as the Father commanded us. And now, verse 5, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, verse 6 says, that we walk or live in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Well, there's a lot to uh, unpack there, so let's get to it. Uh, first of all, he says in that passage that I'm not writing to you a new command. This is a command that we've had from the beginning, and it reminds us of those great words from the Gospel of John in John 13, as Jesus has washed the apostles' feet, and now he's applying that lesson, and he's sharing with them in, the, in chapter 13 of John and in the chapters that follow before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's talking to them about how they are to live, and he calls on them to love one another. And he says in that great verse, in that great passage in John 13, verses 34 and 35, uh, that he says, you know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he says, I'm giving you a new command. We've always had the command to love one another. In fact, that great second commandment, as Jesus calls it, the second great commandment um, that says we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, is taken from the Old Testament law from the days of Moses in Leviticus 19, verse 18. That one's been around. But what Jesus says about it in John 13 is different. Uh, he says, as I have loved you, that's how you are to love one another. He had just lived that out in front of them by washing their feet. And then in the verses that follow, that precede John 13, verses 34 and 35, he tells them this, starting at about verse uh, 17 or so, when he says, 
you see what I've done for you, now I want you to do that for each other. Just as I've washed your feet, I want you to wash each other's feet, not mine, each other's. And in the same way, he calls on us to love each other the way he has loved us. And again, it strikes us back to that epistle of 1 John that we've just finished, that, uh, and especially in chapters 3 and 4, when he reminds us of the love that Jesus had for us by going on the cross, and he says we should have that same kind of love for each other and be willing to give and sacrifice for the sake of others. Uh, in fact, so much so, as you know, uh, in 1 John 4, he says, uh, you, you, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother or your sister, then, then you're lying. It's not true. Because he says you can't love a God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brother or your sister whom you have. John says the same thing and reminds us of this, this uh, command that's not new, but that was very much at the heart of the Christian life. And that is to love one another, to walk in love, to live in love. But he also gives us a clue about what that means. Um, verse 6, he says, this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Again, we go back to that idea of grace and truth, um, mercy and sacrifice. It's not just one or the other. And John makes that clear here. He says, look, the, the command that we have had since the days of Jesus our Lord is that we are to live obediently to him. That is love. We can't say that we love him and then have a disregard for his will, either by not reading it at all and not being concerned about what it says or living in our own selfish way because that's what we want. In uh, Luke's gospel, in Luke 9, as you know, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, that's a far cry from the American way of do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy. And John writes to this dear lady, to this congregation, if it is a church, writing the same way, um, telling them this is love, that we walk in obedience to the Lord's commands. And you remember those words in John 14 when Jesus follows up what he says in John 13 with those apostles, right? And in a short span of time, in John 14, verses 15 and 21 and 23, he says the same thing in a little bit different way each time, but very similar. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Those who say, hey, look, I love Jesus, I love God, but you know, I'm not that interested in the Bible and I'm going to live my life the way I want. Well, that's, that's just not love. That, that's not love. That's an Americanized, an individualistic kind of of love that is far from the way of the cross, far from the one who said, I have come to do your will, not my will, but yours be done. And instructed us to pray that same way in that great Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that starts with how we live our lives. Uh, many of us are aware of the scripture in John 8 verse 32 that says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But we forget the context of that verse, verse 32, and we need to read it with verse 31. When Jesus is, is talking, John says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Uh, John, in these verses, in verses 6 and 7, says, uh, something uh, in verses 4 through 6 says 
exactly the same thing. This is love, verse 6, that we walk in obedience to his commands. His command is that we walk in love. And so that brings us to verse 7 uh, of Second John. I say this, he says, because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. And so there you go. If you're looking around in uh, the world today um, and you're thinking that somebody is the Antichrist, whether you think it might be uh, President Joe Biden or it might be former President Donald Trump or it might be Barack Obama or it might be George W. Bush uh, or it might be Saddam Hussein or it might be whoever is going to take over in Afghanistan as the leader of the Taliban nation there that seems to be uh, a reality now, uh, or some other character that you read about in in uh, the news today or on social media, uh, good luck with that because John says in the first century that the Antichrist is here. Um, and it depends on how we use that term. If we use it from a biblical perspective, it's different than if we use it from a 21st century American political perspective. Those are not the same. They're not the same at all. Uh, we get in a fervor about the difficulty of the way things are today, and granted, they are difficult. I won't, I won't deny that they are. It's a very difficult time to live today, and and a very uncertain future. I get that. I get that. Do you think it's more difficult than in the first century, or in the decades that followed, when Christians, simply because they were Christians, were put in arenas and lions were let loose on them to devour them in front of uh, very sick uh, people who were watching. Do you think that's the way? Do you think it's different, worse today than it was when Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus and it, as he had been to many other cities and in Jerusalem to have people beaten and put, to, put in jail and possibly put to death because of their faith? Um, and, and the reality is there's some of that going on in other places in the world right now. Um, so I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of, of people who say, look around, read the paper, read your news. You realize that th this must be it. Well, <laughs> yeah, have you forgotten the Holocaust during the time of World War II? Have you uh, forgotten world history completely? And everything that we have read about horrible, horrible, violent, cruel uh, people who had their way with others? Um, I, again, I get that, that it's difficult now, and I get that there are evil people in, in the world now, but remember this verse, Second John verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. When we spoke of this in First John chapter 2, it was the same thing. Those who deny Jesus, those who will not name the name of Jesus, they are against Christ. That's a literal translation of the term Antichrist. And just as John does here in 2 John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 22, and in chapter 4, verse 3, he acknowledges that there are Antichrists that are challenging the people of God even during his own time. And there have been in every generation, just as there are now. Perhaps Jesus will be sent uh, before the end of this lesson, which seems to be running a little long. Um, Perhaps he'll wait another 2,000 years. One is just as possible as the other. 
The message of Scripture is be faithful. Watch. Read John. Read Matthew 24 and, and Mark 13 and, and Luke 21 and notice those parables that Jesus tells about a homeowner who didn't know when the thief was coming and so he was just going to be ready all the time. Uh, and the workers who were being the, 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 lead, the master who was being unfaithful and was being cruel to his workers. And his master came at a time when he wasn't expecting him. The message is, look, be, be faithful all the time. And it won't matter when. That's the wrong question. The right question is, how do you want me to live, Lord, because of the faith that I have? That's the right question. Um, and so let's go on. Verses 8 through 11, he speaks to that in particular. Watch out that you don't lose what we or what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Verses 9 through 11 now, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Just exactly how important is it to be faithful to the truth of God's word? Well, so much so that Jesus warned this woman or this church that if you have people who come and are preaching false doctrine and are arrogant about that, and you provide any kind of assurance to them, then you are condoning their work. And that's what makes this hard. We're called upon to be hospitable, to love our even our enemies, Jesus said. And we can do that without condoning their message that is far away from the truth of God's word. The message of Jesus Christ is found in the Gospels. And in, um, and in the letters and in the book of Revelation, in the book of Acts that we read in our New Testaments. Uh, not everybody goes by that. Not everybody even cares what's in there. If their message is simply, well, love Jesus, and that's enough. You know, be loving towards others, that's enough. And granted, the greatest commandment in the second are those, to love the Lord your God and to love neighbor as self. But again, what exactly does that mean? Clearly. Clearly, John affirms here in this little short letter of Second John that loving God and loving your neighbor means being obedient to the truth of God's word. So much so that if our actions condone those who are teaching false doctrine, those who are not faithful to what the word of God says, then uh, we need to examine our lives and examine what we're doing. It's a very hard, hard teaching. And it's one that he'll reaffirm in the little letter of Third John and actually name uh, some names of those who are being faithful and those who are not. Remember Paul in Ephesians 4 saying we're to be about preaching the truth in love. And if we are committed to that truth, then we're not going to be carried about by every wind of doctrine, as he says, but rather we will grow and mature in the truth of God's word. The end of Second Peter 3 that calls on us in the face of false teachers uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, it's grace and truth, the truth of God's word. At the end of this letter, he says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings. So again, it could be a, uh, a person uh, as he's speaking individually. It could also be a congregation as he's communicating from one congregation to another. 
uh, or from one Christian uh, woman to another. Either way, the message is the same, to live obediently to the truth of God's word. Next Sunday, we'll look at the little letter of 3 John, these two very short, very powerful letters. But before we go, I want us to end with the reading of uh, these 13 verses from the book of 2 John. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings. Next week we'll look at the letter that finishes this uh, short trilogy, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, as we read the epistle of 3rd John. May God bless you, bless our nation, bless all of those whom you love, bless all of those around the world who are seeking to live according to the truth. Amen.